Now, I want to remind everyone that we're coming to the end of a long dinner conversation. Jesus has been meeting with some Pharisees, some rulers of the Pharisees, very powerful, wealthy men, very spiritually minded guys, they, they assume, very religious guys in that culture. And he's eating uh, bread on the Sabbath. He's having a Shabbat dinner with these, these men, and his disciples are along. And chapter 17, we're going to do a little bit of a recap, but chapter 17 um, begins this way. Then Jesus said to the disciples, it is impossible that no stumbling blocks or offenses or temptations, your Bible might say a couple of different things there, but Jesus, I, I think the best rendering is stumbling block. It's impossible that no stumbling blocks should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone, do you guys know what a millstone is? Uh, the range in, in weight from hundreds of pounds to thousands of pounds, a circle stone, you know, they'd use one on top of another to grind grain. Um, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung from around his neck and he was thrown into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Now, if we removed ourselves from the context, we might just wonder, you know, what's happening? Like, where did this come from? Why, why did Jesus suddenly say this? But here, I want to I give you the context again. I, I hope this isn't like a, a, a laborious or like a labor every week to just say, Jesus is hanging out with some rulers of the Pharisees. He's at a dinner, you know, and these men portray themselves or want to believe and present themselves to the society, the culture, to, to, you know, not the church, but to the Jewish people as being just, I mean, awesome. You know, they're super close to God. They know lots of things. They know the law. They live for God. They're dedicated. You know, they're wealthy and therefore they're blessed by God. And Jesus has taken the time. Like one of the things I admire about you, speak of it, you know, admiring a man, like this is something that I respect Ken Graves a lot for. You know, Jesus did this too. He sat down with all these rich, powerful, influential men and he said, you know, the dinner started this way. You remember the man with, whose body was bloated, dropsy, he wasn't invited? He showed up and Jesus says, hey, is it wrong for me to heal this guy? Nobody would say anything. And so he healed him. And then they all complained because it was the wrong day. It was the Sabbath. He wasn't supposed to be working. He says, you guys care more about an animal than you do a man. What's up with that? And then, you know, he kept going. He looked around and these guys were more concerned with where they were sitting around the table than true humility. They were more concerned about what they could get out of other people. You know, they would only give to get something in return. And Jesus, uh, you know, he brought that to their attention. Going forward, you know, uh, then one of the guys said, Oh, you know, that's great, Jesus. You know, thanks for your words and all. But we're all going to have a grand old time when we sit in the kingdom of God and we're eating bread together. Isn't this just going to be wonderful? And Jesus kind of stops him in his track back in chapter 14 and says, Dude, you may not be there because you've left nothing to follow me. You know, and he goes on, he explains that to be a disciple, to enter into this kingdom, there has to be change. There has to be a departure from a wicked lifestyle or from any lifestyle. You have to be born again. Like something new has to happen. You've got to leave things behind. 
And no doubt these men, they really had a hard time hearing that. You know, he said, you, unless you forsake all that you have, you cannot be my disciple. That was hard for them to hear. But he kept going. He brought it to their attention that they cared more about lost property and lost coins than lost people. And, you know, this is where we've got we've to enter this book and enter their world and ask the same question of us. You know, Jesus is not just talking to the Pharisees 2,000 years ago. He's talking to me and you right here in this parking lot, even though we're in dumb drive-in church, you know. This is, is for us just as much as it was for them. He says, you don't care about lost. You care a lot about lost sheep. You'd rejoice over that. You care a lot about lost money. You'd rejoice over finding it. You don't care about lost people. You never show mercy or love to anybody. And yet he keeps going. Remember he said, he told the parable of the unjust steward where he said, you know, uh, this guy, you know, was called to account by his master. He was cheating his boss out of some stuff and he's called to account. So that guy went and like, you know, reduced the debts of everybody that owed his master stuff. So it would be better for him. Jesus is like, look, just listen to me. An end, a day of accounting is coming. You need to pay attention because your current course of action, you're going to be, you're going to be shown to be the scams, the, the cheats, the frauds that you are. You're going to, it's going to be revealed that you are only about you. And you're not actually a shepherd of the flock as you, you know, feel like you are. You tell people you are. You're a false shepherd. You don't care about anybody but yourself and your money and your stuff and your lifestyle. So he says all that, and, and, he, and, and you know, remember the, the Pharisees who were lovers of money, when he said your money's going to fail and you need to plan ahead with what you have now for the future that's coming, know that this life is coming to an end and think about investing in another place. They all derided him. They mocked him because they were lovers of money. This is the whole dinner, guys, and I know this is, like I said, a labor to go back in, but it's good for us to remember. You know, then Jesus throws this one other dig in. He goes, you know, you guys... You guys love the law, but I came here to fulfill the law and none of the law is going to perish. And you know what? You guys act like you're like the teachers of the law and the, you know, you're, you're like dedicated and like you hold it up so high. But you guys throw, you know, you throw away your wives just to get with some other woman and you call it divorce. But that's not how God sees it. It's straight up adultery. Like this is Jesus. This is, you know, the God of grace and truth. This is him speaking straight to men that need to hear the truth. And at no time, you know, because we, we will remember in chapter 15, all the tax collectors and the sinners, they drew near to Jesus to hear him. So don't, I mean, you, you might look at me and be like, wow, Sam, you get like angry or like, no, no, it's not anger. Jesus is not angry trying to come down on these people to ruin their day and ruin their life. What he wants to see is he wants to do the ministry of Jeremiah where he like uproots so that that God can build again. Like if you called me up and said, hey, I've got a project at your house. You, you know, I got a project at my house. Uh, this, you know, we've had some water. Let's use water damage because that's seems like that's all the calls I get. <laughs> uh, maybe I just need to be a better carpenter. Well, when there's water damage, you know, people don't ask me to come into their house and say, could you just patch up that black mold? You know, there's stuff growing there. Could you just put something over it and like we can act like it's not there? No, you call me up. I come, I put my face mask on. I get my shop vac out and we do some destruction, some demolition. I, I remove that 
so that when it goes back, it can be, in a sense, healthy. Does that make sense? That analogy makes sense? I think it does. Well, Jesus just, he came at these guys. And the final thing, you guys remember last week, last week was heavy. He talked about the finality of heaven and hell. You know, like this man that had five brothers and had a beggar named Lazarus that was at his gate. No doubt, my opinion, one of these guys at this feast or at this dinner, you know, knew or was related to a rich guy with a beggar at his gate named Lazarus that had five brothers. I believe that. I just, I just do. And he told not a parable, but he gave the account of a man that waited and waited and waited. And the end result was he was in torment and he didn't even see it coming. He thought he should be with Father Abraham, remember? But he wasn't. And he pleaded with Father Abraham to relieve some of the torment and then, if possible, to send someone back to warn his brothers. To these guys... Listen, that's the dinner. That's the dinner conversation. To these guys then, in, in chapter 17, verse 1, Jesus says, and notice, look, look at, look at your own Bibles. It says, then he said to the disciples. Now, here, I want you to just think about something. Jesus is not just slamming these guys to condemn them and throw them aside. Some of these Pharisees are going through like, you know, the, the birth pains of becoming born again. Like, they hear what he says, and they know it's true, and they're starting to be, like Nicodemus was kind of accused of being, they're starting to be a disciple that, just because they're listening and their ears are open and their heart is receiving what he said. So, yeah, it's to the disciples around the table, but there are other guys listening, right? Some of the guys are just so stubborn, they, they won't hear anything. But even some of these rulers of the Pharisees, like Joseph of Arimathea, maybe Nicodemus, maybe others, some of the priests, some of the scribes maybe there, they're hearing. And that would make them, in a sense, a disciple. They're listening. And Jesus says, look, bad, you know, bad things are going to happen. And, and what he means is it is impossible that no offenses should come. What he's saying, no stumbling blocks should come. Look, in every age, in every place, in every community, in every, all throughout history, true Christianity, true belief, true faith, true love has always, God himself has been misrepresented to people in every place, in every age, right? There was a time, and uh, you know, me and my kids have just been watching uh, a lot of uh, Voice of the Martyrs production it's wonderful if you've got kids. It's called torch lighters. They're like 30 minutes long. Sometimes there's blood. Sometimes people get martyred. So, I mean, it's, I don't know what that's age appropriate for. We show it to all our kids, so maybe I'm a bad dad. But, um, you know, some of the stories about Martin Luther and John Wycliffe and uh, William Booth. Uh, was it William Booth or is that the guy that John? No, no. William Booth, Salvation Army. The stories are amazing. And, and one of the things that, you know, was fascinating to me is there was a day when there was no Bible in your language. You know, we were all peasants, we were all nobodies, and we couldn't even pick up the Word of God and read it. And the church, the church loved it that way. And when men became dedicated to putting this in the common language, you know what happened to some of them? They were burned at the stake. God hates being misrepresented. And what these Pharisees were doing what we can even do, let's be honest, is we can misrepresent God to people that he loves and he's after. You know, I, I'll admit it. I have misrepresented God to many people in my life. 
starting probably more than anybody, my wife and my kids, because they see me the most. And they see me act in ways that Jesus Christ would never have acted. They see me, you know, they see me get proud. They see me get stubborn. They see me lose it. They see me in the flesh. They see me a lot of different ways. We can misrepresent not only the Lord, but his grace and his mercy, right? His love. We can misrepresent the truth. That's what these guys were. That's what they were all about. And Jesus said, look, that's, it's always going to be that way. It's impossible that no offenses, no stumbling blocks should come before man. But he says, whoa, like danger, danger, danger to the man that brings those stumbling blocks to another person. Woe to him through whom they do come. And he says it would be better for him you know, he's talking to his disciples, anybody that would listen, but obviously the Pharisees are all, they can still hear him. He's saying, it would be better for that guy that has just rejected everything I said and is affecting everybody else with their misrepresentation of God, with their leading, their example. They're bringing people away from the Lord. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than he should offend one of these little ones. You know, is he talking about children, little ones? I think he's just talking about, I mean, he could be talking about little ones. He's talking about, you know, people young in the faith. He's talking about people whose hearts yearn for God, and then they look to what calls itself the church or religious, or and they see disgusting, horrible things done in the name of religion or done in the name of Jesus Christ or God. We have to be careful. Like, this is an account. He's saying it to his disciples. Look, guys, this can happen to anybody. Anybody can misrepresent God to somebody else. And often we think, eh, you know, my sin, that's not a big deal, is it? Just affects me, right? My choices, my temper problem, my, you know, work ethic or lack of, you know, that doesn't affect anybody but me. No, it affects everybody because people are watching us. People are following our example, especially if you're a mom or a dad, and, and way beyond that. You know, Jesus says it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea that he should cause one of these little ones to stumble, I think is the best rendering. So Jesus then, he's talking to his disciples. Remember this, guys, the 12 and then maybe some more. He says, take heed to yourselves. Now this next section is hard hitting and it just has to be. I don't want to take away any of what Jesus said because he's kind of stopped talking to the Pharisees and he started talking to all of us, right? We would call ourselves disciples, right? We've left things to follow him and he says, look, I want you to take heed to yourself and here's how. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Let's talk about that for a second. So Jesus says, look, don't cause other people to stumble. And then they're like, yeah, the Pharisees, they're yucky, nasty people. And then he's like, but no, no, no. Take heed to yourselves because there's a really, really quick, fast track way to cause people around you to stumble. Do you know what it is? Hebrews describes it very well, I think. It's called bitterness. And it's something we're like, oh yeah, I heard about that. You know, that's not my problem. <laughs> bitterness. Bitterness 
is a root that defiles many. When we hang on to the hurt of somebody else, when we refuse to forgive, that actually produces something so bad within us that it defiles and messes up other people. It actually can cause other people to stumble. It can actually cause other people not to really see the grace, mercy, and love of God, the free forgiveness that's found in Him, because they're looking at us and saying, whoa, 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 you say you've got this free gift from God, but why are you so angry? Why can't you let that go? Why do you refuse to let that go? So the forgiveness God gave you can't be that real because you're hanging on to stuff left and right. That's not good. And Jesus says, hold on, guys. Take heed to yourselves. If I love the way that this goes. Look, the Bible is right all the time. I'm going to say things from time to time that are wrong, but I just want to, I want to, and I think you guys are there. I'm glad. Maybe it's because I'm such a, you know, I'm such a doofus, right? You just look at your Bibles, right? What does it say? If your brother sins against you, what are we supposed to do? Rebuke him. Tell him. It is not always good for us to just, oh, let it go. Let it go. I don't even want to tell him. A lot of times that's, for me, I'll just be honest, that's weakness. I'm afraid what a person is going to think. I don't want to make a big deal. But let's think about sin. What about our kids, right? If our kids sin and we see it, what should we do? We correct them. Because what happens if we don't? It festers. It grows. It's like leprosy. We're going to read about leprosy. You know, it, it becomes something even worse. If somebody sins against you, 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 don't go, you don't go for a fight. But you go, like Matthew 18 says, you go alone and you try to win your brother. You just try to explain. You try to say. You don't go and like try to make them feel bad. You don't go. But if, if they've wronged you and they're stuck there in that sin... And they don't even see it. It is actually kind and right to go to them and say, look, that hurt. Then you can start talking about it. Go to them alone. Don't talk to your buddies about it. Don't talk to somebody else. Go to them first. That's what Jesus is saying, right? There are, there are probably times where you should let things go. But I think like, you know, in a marriage, you know, if I'm really offending my wife, I want her to come and tell me, right? That's good. Right? Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, rebuke him. I, you know what's amazing to me? Jesus says, take heed to yourselves. Like, this is a dangerous place to be in when you are hurt by somebody else. Because maybe we all are sinners, right? We're all going to mess up. We're all going to hurt other people. But I think maybe Jesus is saying, you know what reveals more about you than almost anything else? When you are hurt and when you are sinned against. When your rights are violated... When somebody steps on your toes, somebody stabs you in the back, that reveals so much about us. Jesus says, don't be afraid. Go and rebuke him. Tell him. And then, amazing, he says, and if he repents, forgive him. If he repents, forgive him. Guys, I want to ask you, and I wish you were all sitting like, I mean, I can talk to Ollie because their window's down, but uh, Josh is too. Yeah, anyway, but look, if your brother sins against you, rebuke him tell him charge him but then jesus says if he repents what are we supposed to do forgive him you know it's interesting let me just bring this to your attention right forgiveness is a gift you give forgiveness to somebody else you show them your love you show them that you're letting go but 
of, of that. You're keeping no more record of that wrong. Now, reconciliation, sometimes forgiveness and reconciliation can be two different things. You know, somebody might have to earn your trust, but there's a million different situations. But if your brother comes to you and says, look, I blew it, what does Scripture say? Forgive him. Forgive him. Receive him. Love him with the same mercy that you've received from God. That is Jesus' prescription. If we don't, who do we become like? The Pharisee. We become like a Pharisee that does not understand the depths of forgiveness, the depths of our own sin. We become just like them. Jesus is saying, watch out. You, you can become like a Pharisee and you don't even have to sin. All somebody has to do is sin against you and you just hold on to it and get all nasty about it. Now, let me ask you the hypothetical question. Jesus doesn't say what happens if that person doesn't come back and ask for forgiveness. So let's say, for example, Perry's an awfully mean guy. So um, Perry sins against me and Perry just, he won't, you know, he won't come and ask for forgiveness. So according, right, to scripture, I can just hold on to that forever and never let it go. Wrong. Wrong. If he comes back to me, that's great. Then we can be restored. But if he doesn't, forgiveness works this way. It's a gift to somebody else. And if they never come back, I can still, with God's help and power, give that thing up. I want you to remember that. It's a gift to somebody else, and it's something you can give up. You can let go. You don't have to hold on to and keep that record and stay bitter about it and just let that build and build because you'll destroy other people and yourself. Jesus knows what he's talking about. Then, I love this statement. Jesus says, And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Look, I love that verse. I love that verse for two reasons. Because I'm married, and I have offended Jess more than seven times in a day. Right? Seven at least. More, more than that. Some days, I'm just that guy. And yet, it's like Jesus is saying, Look, guys, this is really going to happen. There's going to be people that hurt you multiple times. And it doesn't, that doesn't change anything. You know what else that tells me? That tells me that even from people that are growing in the church, that are really believers, that really even love me. I'll use my wife for an example, but don't go, you know, tell her I said she was all mean and, you know, I needed to repent for lots of things. But in our marriage, right, this verse reminds me that we're going to mess up time and time and time and time again. And not that that's like good and great and like, yeah, we can just mess up. It doesn't matter. But this tells me, one, relationships need to be built on mercy and grace, forgiveness. They, that all needs to be there because the reality is I'm going to mess up over and over and over again. And if you don't have a relationship where it's, it's mercy centric, boy, what's going to happen? Hey you, hey, you messed up eight times today. I'm out. <laughs> you know, I'm done. That's just too much. You know, Jesus was telling these guys, you need to forgive a lot and you're going to need forgiveness a lot. That's the reality of life. Um, so the disciples, you know, remember the disciples heard this. The Pharisees are bystanders. The disciples heard this and you know what their response was? Maybe you're thinking in your heart, Sam, dude, you don't know what has happened to me or someone I love, I could never forgive that. You know, you, if you only knew, well, I would just turn that back and say, there are things in my life, if you only knew, you know, 
And yet God's word stays the same. He says, if you refuse to forgive, I won't forgive you. That, that's his statement. I mean, wrestle with it. Wrestle with it until you die. Wrestle until you give up, you release, you forgive that person, whether they come back to you or not. So the disciples hear that, and they're struggling with it. They're struggling with it, and they say, Oh, Lord, increase our faith. Like, that's crazy. Seven times, like, we're supposed to forgive the you know, guy that comes and, 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 and sins against us seven times in one day. Oh, just help us to have that kind of faith. I love Bugs. I love bugs. They're coming out, aren't they? I love what Jesus says, right? These disciples are like, oh, if only we had that kind of faith. We need more faith to do such things, Jesus. Don't you understand? Like maybe someday we'll get to that faith, like we'll climb the faith ladder and we'll get higher and higher and higher. And then we'll have enough faith to forgive people. And Jesus is like, no. (laughs) He says, if you have faith as a mustard seed, You can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea and it would obey you. His response to them is, this is not an issue of how much faith you have. He's going to tell them, and it's like spoiler alert, but he's going to tell them, this is not about how much faith you have. It's about faith, period. Faith, period, is you heard what I said, you do what I said. And sometimes feelings aren't attached to acting in faith. Can we agree? If you try to feel your way into right action, you'll be feeling a lot of things your whole life, but I don't think you're ever going to get to right action. If you act your way, if you respond to what God says with a tiny mustard seed-like faith, you just say, this is what he said. It must be possible because he's the creator of the universe of my life and of my heart. And he said to do this, so I'm going to do this. If it becomes, in a sense, and he's going to talk about this, what we think is a bad word in America, he's going to talk about duty. He says, you don't need a lot of faith to do this. You just need to do it. (laughs) It's that simple. You just need to do it. Trust me. That's the kind of faith that can move mountains and that can uproot trees. It's not about getting there someday. It's about taking action today. And he says, you know, and which of you, he goes on, he's going to, this is a, you know, it's not wordy. It's a little hard for me to understand. It's right that he said it, but he's going to, it's going to be clear in the end in verse 10. He says, and which of you having a servant plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat. But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk? And afterward, you will eat and drink. Does he think that, does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise you, when you have done all these things, what all these things? When you have forgiven someone that has sinned against you, when you've done all these things, which are commanded, God says explicitly, clearly, tons of time to be filled with mercy and love and forgiveness say we are unprofitable servants we have done what was our duty to do what that says to me is that I don't need to get more spiritual more faithful more anything to do what he said it's just my duty it's just that plain this is what my savior told me 
and he wants me to do it, and I can do it. Guess what, guys? We can do this right now, today. There's no reason to let bitterness cripple your life and destroy other people around you. Now we're going to hit a couple more verses, then we'll be done. Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem. So change of scene. Finally, we're away from this dinner party. But it's been awesome, guys, these past couple weeks. Finally, we're, we're moving on. Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And remember, as a good Jew, no, other good Jews did not go through Samaria. But G Jesus is making these trips through Samaria because he loves people. doesn't matter what nationality is. doesn't matter what their background is. doesn't matter what their, you know, wealth is. He makes this trip through Ga uh, Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. Okay, and I thought, you know, looking at you guys, you guys all know what leprosy is. You know how, you know, preachers will talk about leprosies like sin. I, I don't even have to go there for the sake of time. Okay? These ten guys had a condition that was terminal. They were separated from everybody, everyone they loved. They'd lost everything. They're living in a leper community. They're waiting for the day they die. And it's getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And these ten men who were probably Samaritans, right? Maybe some of the others were. Maybe some of the others were gallons. I don't know. It doesn't, doesn't matter so much. They found Jesus. They met him. Whether they were looking for him or not. But they stood far away, which was their custom if they were lepers. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourself, show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that as, I love this, as they went. So it was, as they went, they were cleansed. Man, I wish I'd get off this stool and just do like a, I don't know, not an object lesson, but just demonstrate. Look, there are times where the Lord asks you to, let's use bitterness, let's use forgiveness, for example. You've been sinned against, you've been wrong. You don't understand, it's so bad, you know. I, I can't even tell you how bad it, okay. Sometimes the Lord asks us to take a step. And we're like, okay, God, first you've got to like, I can do all things through Christ Jesus, you know, Jesus Christ who gives me strength. You know, I need the strength first, God, and then I'll act. You look, like, you just change my heart and then I'll act. And God says, no, I'll heal you when you take a step. Because until you do that, that's not faith. That's not action. And I love what these, what he does for these lepers is... They, he says, go, and you know what they did? They took a step. They took a step. They acted upon what he said. That's faith. And they were healed as they went. It wasn't even about getting somewhere eventually. It was they were healed along the way. Man, that's, that's my life. That's, what's God, that's what God's doing right now. Yeah, we have a destination, another kingdom, right? But God wants to do things along the way. And he's... Ah, we're, we're not waiting for him to change us. He's waiting for us to start being, put ourselves in a place where he can. Does that make sense? I think, I don't know, I think it does. So look, 
they, as they went, they were cleansed. But listen, this story kind of ends tragically, guys. And one of them, just one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he returned. He came back. He found Jesus. No doubt that took some diligence. And with a loud voice, he glorified God. And he fell down on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? Weren't there ten lepers? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? You know, something amazing about God is that he does kind things to the unthankful and evil. We've already read that in Luke. You know, we look at life, we look at creation, we look at the trees, we look at, you know, Mount Katahdin blows me away every time I hike. We look at all of these things. I, I look at my marriage, I look at my kids, you know, I look at, you know, food tastes good, you know, at time, most of the time. You know, all of these good things that are, you know, this world is broken. Yeah, we can see that. But there's good things that man has been given by its creator to enjoy whether they believe or not, you know. Uh, unbelievers enjoy love and family and recreation and creation even if they don't admit that it's creation they enjoy all of these things and yet look what i'm trying to say is what jesus did for these men is he healed them of their leprosy their physical ailment he healed 10 lepers but how many how many of these lepers hearts were changed i think all 10 of them were drastically i mean their physical frame their disease went away all of that but Jesus wanted to do some, something so much greater. What he did was kind, but look at the response of, of man, even in our society, at the goodness of God. In this story, it has a percentage. One in ten, ten percent, came back and said, you know what, thank you. Only you could have done that. And it give God glory for what he's done, what he's made, what he's given us. You know? Um, Jesus, Jesus is amazed. These guys, I mean, think about it. If you're a leper, to not go back to the one that healed you. But yet that's this world. They enjoy all, you know, every good and, and, and uh, every good and perfect gift, right? James says, comes from God. And yet the world enjoys and takes and yeah, yeah, we give us more. They never return to thank him. Man, it just kind of reminded me of the kindness of God. And he's kind even to the unmerciful, the unthankful, excuse me, and evil. And his kindness, man, it leads some to repentance, but the crazy thing is it doesn't lead everybody there, does it? It doesn't. It's crazy. It makes me more appreciative of the gift that he gave me, not think, I'm, oh, I'm a lucky spiritual one that I figured it out. I can't believe he saved me. I can't believe he made himself so plain and to rescue me and to change my life. Jesus says, we're, we're not there ten? Then why are there, why is only one foreigner come back to give me thanks? Well, we could sit and bemoan like, oh, you know, this society is going down the tubes, right? You know, uh, I'm not even going to say what I was going to say because it would get me in trouble. Um, 
We feel like there's this tiny little remnant. Like, Lord, why are you not coming back? There's so few of us, right? But guess what? For that one that returned, he was healed physically, but something so much greater happened within him, inside of him. You know, Jesus says, what, you know, were there not ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And then he turned to that man who had been physically healed, and he said, arise. That means that man was at his feet, right? Arise, go your way. Go your way. Go the new way that God has given you. Your faith, I love this, has made you, some of your Bibles will say well. Some of your Bibles will say whole. But just understand, he'd already physically healed this guy. This wasn't another physical healing. It's not like the guy had a bad tooth and he's like, you know, I'm going to heal your tooth too. This was, this guy was made whole. Whole. Sozo is the Greek word. To enjoy, to experience the fullness of God's blessing. Not just physical, not just stuff, not just he helped me make my rent payment, you know, or my mortgage payment or whatever. A wholeness that came over this man that he had never had even before he had leprosy. He had a relationship that was made right to his creator. He came back. You know, um, I want to be like this guy. I want to be like this guy. I want to be, even if I'm one in ten, right? Even if we're ten out of a hundred, you know? I want to be like this man because I want to be made whole in here, right? There's too much wrong with me to just settle for, you know, Slap some paint on me, Lord. <laughs> you know, dress me up. Hide the rot. No, I want it all changed out. <sighs> That's a good stopping place, guys. Oh, that was a lot to chew on. Uh, read ahead. Read into chapter 17. Uh, finish it out. We're going to hit some, some more just incredible stuff, you know, from our Lord. And uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for what you've said to us tonight. It's always enough, Lord. You are always enough. And as we open your word and we meditate on it, we chew on it, Lord, you say that we'll be like a tree planted by rivers of water. Lord, you tell us that storms will come and we will be like a house built on the rock. If we do your word, if we hear your word, and we do it, Lord, we'll be solid through this life. doesn't mean we'll, the storms won't come. It doesn't mean things won't be hard. It doesn't mean we'll be confused at times and cry out to you and wonder why. Lord, you've given us your word to hold on to. Your word is a person, Lord. I love that, too. You're not just an idea. You're not just ideas. You're Jesus Christ. You're our Savior. You put on flesh and you showed up here to show us exactly what God looks like and what His love looks like. Lord, we thank you so much for your mercy and your grace. And may we show it to other people, all the people around us, Lord. May we take heed to what you've said. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. Hey, grace and peace, guys.